Nehemiah chapter 7. So in chapter 6, we saw that they finished building the walls. And now here we are in chapter 7. So I'm not going to read all of chapter 7 to you like I typically do uh, with every other chapter. And the reason for that is part of chapter 7 Uh, You'll see in in verse 5, we'll start right there. He says, Then my God put it in my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it. And then he begins to list all the families who had come and returned out of exile. So that's what you have uh, basically through the end of the book until we finally get into chapter 8, which is where we're going to go, of course, next week. So today, we're going to spend our time in chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. And then, like I said, we're also going to talk and bring Adam on and appoint him as a deacon in the church. And there's some, in the Lord's sovereignty, he, he had these verses picked out ahead of time so that all these things fit well together for us today. So to recap again, Nehemiah, he's working as a cup bearer for the, a wicked king in a secular government. He's a trusted official, and he hears about Jerusalem. His brother comes to him and tells him the walls are burned with fire. Now, again, at that point, it had been that way about 110 years. It hadn't just happened, but the news came to him about the homeland that he had never seen. He was born outside of it, but he still loves it. He still misses it. He still cares, and he's thinking, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit grips him, and he is moved to do something. So he prays, and then he acts. He prays, and he acts. He prays, and he acts, and then we see... The, the king actually sends him with funds, with resources, with people to actually go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He appoints him as governor over that region because they're, they're being ruled over at this time. So Nehemiah is bringing all of his effort, all of his labor, all of his prayer to Jerusalem. The walls have been rebuilt, and we've celebrated that. Now here we are in chapter 7. Now, when the wall had been rebuilt and I had set up the doors before that hadn't happened yet, the gates hadn't been finished and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed. I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah, the governor of the castle charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors, appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people in it, within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Please bring revelation to us right now. Open up the eyes of our hearts so we can see and know things that you intend for us to see and know the history of what took place, but the significance of it. You're always doing something else underneath the surface. You're always doing the maximum that can be done, never just the minimum. So show us what that looks like in our own hearts, in our own minds, in our own lives, in our own relationships. Your word is living and active, Lord. We trust it's going to accomplish what you said it, what you send it out to accomplish today. And we receive it with humility. We come expecting to be changed this morning, not expecting to be impressed by a sermon, but we come expecting to receive clarity and direction from the Holy Spirit. Lead us to look more and more like you and to follow you more closely. In Jesus' name, we thank you.
Amen. Amen. Now, when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors, and then right away we see Nehemiah goes into a lot of other things that he does. He builds the wall, he, builds the wall, he sets up the doors, and then he goes into all these other things. We don't want to brush past it. Here's the reason we don't want to brush past it, because I want to draw your attention to something really obvious here. What Nehemiah doesn't say is, when I had built the walls and I had set up the gates, I left. Job well done. That was the mission, right? That was the whole thing. He heard that the walls were burned, that things were torn down in Jerusalem, that there were no gates. This was what he came to accomplish. The construction project is done. All right, I'm out of here. This isn't what we see take place at all. Next, Nehemiah, he appoints gatekeepers, which was the security. He appoints singers, which were the worshipers. And he appoints the Levites, which were the priests over the temple. What's happening here? What what are we supposed to be seeing? The Lord is taking a holistic approach to rebuilding. He's not doing the minimums. He's doing the maximums. The wall and the gates were the starting point. Is there a practical, physical thing to do? Yes, but the Lord is always doing something more than the practical, physical thing. He always has layers. He always has levels. There's always more significance than the thing that I may think I'm doing. We run into this problem all the time. We live very as, as disembodied people. We act like there's, there's the spiritual world, and that's only Sunday morning, and then there's life. There's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and that's where I've got to work. That's where I've got to do all these other things. It's where I've got to run a household. It's where I've got to cut somebody's grass. It's where I've got to uh, design a dock. It's where I've got to put on a roof. It's where I've got to do landscaping. Insert your profession here. It's where that's just this. No, there's no such thing as just anything. There's no just that. Because all things are being done, can and should be done, for the glory of God. Oh, I just, I just built a wall. Well, that's not all that you did. That mattered, and that's not all that you did. A mother caring for her children. Oh, I'm just, I'm just feeding them lunch. I'm just, making a peanut, I'm just making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. There's no such thing as just making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Oh, I just gave them a cup of cold water. Well, Jesus said whenever you've done that then you will not lose your reward for just, it's just a cup of cold water. He says, no, there's no such thing as just a cup of cold water. Things mean things. Everything means something in the kingdom. And what we see happening here is the Lord has more in mind than we have in mind. We always think small. We always think short-term. The Lord is always thinking bigger. The Lord is always thinking long-term. Nehemiah, when he first prayed, I don't know how he prayed in particular, but we know specifically the mission was the walls. But I believe that the Lord stirred and showed him in a progressive way. Has the Lord ever done that with you? Or does the Lord always show you everything, every step from day one? Uh, He's never done that with me. He's always said, hey, just take this next step. Okay, now what? Well, just take this next step. Okay, now what? Well, just take this next step. The Lord is walking me. He's growing me. He's moving me forward. I have to do the same thing. If I'm going to be a good father to my sons, I give them one step at a time. I don't say, hey, let me overwhelm you with everything that's going to be on your shoulders as a man someday. No, for Hudson, he needs to do what Hudson needs to do at age seven. For Brock, he needs to do what Brock's doing at age 11. It needs to be appropriate, but it's the next step. Oh, that's a little uncomfortable. Yep. But I'm not telling them what I'm preparing them for. I'm not telling them for what they're actually going to have to really face someday. I just say, because for now, this is enough. And for now, this is right. For now, that was enough. Let's rebuild the walls. But as Nehemiah gets in the city, he already sees the Lord starting to bring revival and repentance because the sin that he ran into. And now he wants to keep restoring. The Lord wants to keep building people up. This is what the Lord does with all of us. 
we came to Christ. Maybe some of us came to Christ and we thought, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. Well, that's a beginning, but that is not the end. That's not the end. You know, many of us have thought, that sounds terrible. Hell sounds terrible. God sounds loving. I choose God. Well, that's the right choice, obviously. But that's not the end of our Christian walk. That's not the end of our Christian faith. But many people start there and it's like, that's the most obvious decision to make. Congratulations. That was a good one. The Lord has redeemed you and rescued you by his grace through your faith. But we're not finished. We don't stop there. The Lord rebuilds walls, but he doesn't stop. Well, I'm I'm as Christian as I want to get, Lord. That's that's not a biblical perspective at all. That's not a a Christ-honoring perspective at all. I'm as, I'm as Jesus following as I ever am going to be. I'm, I've decided this is as Christian as it gets for me. This is as Jesus as it's going to get around here. I would question that. I would question that Christian and say, hey, keep your eyes focused on Jesus and be careful to make sure that you even are in the faith. That's a frightening perspective. I love my wife as much as I'm ever going to love her. How would, how would that feel, babe, if I told you that today? Hey, this is as good as it's going to get for us. It's good, right? It's good, right? Seriously. Is it good? Yes. But this is it. I just want you to know. We're 15 years in. We, we've built something good here. But this is it. Why would you say that, Jeremiah? Why would you do that? This is your wife. This is your marriage. Why would you cap it? Hey, because, like, we, we just don't need any more marriage happening. It's enough. <laughs> you know, like, I feel like, we, I feel like we've, you know, we've leveled out. But as Christians, we could feel that same way. I've seen it. I've lived through it. Like, I'm, I'm coasting. I'm just coasting now. The Lord has more. The Lord has extra. As God's people, we're not the people of the minimums. We are the people of the maximum because our God is the maximum. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. So for the example in marriage, when we said, I do, we're not, we, didn't, we don't say that I'm done, right? No, there's a life to be built now. That's not the end. That's the beginning. That's just the starting point. Now, now the journey really gets started. The maximum in business is what we want. When I got my first employee, I had arrived. No, that's not the end. That's the beginning. Or, no, that's not the beginning. My brain is having a hard time. That's not the, yeah, I had it right the first. Thank you. That's not the end. That's the beginning. The Lord's saying there's more. We've got another level. We've got another step. There's another place to go. Well, I don't know if I'm ready. I'll get you there a step at a time. I don't know how I'm ever going to have 100 employees. You don't have to worry about 100 employees. But let's talk about one. Let's talk about two. Because the Lord has bigger purposes. Why? What's the purpose in more employees? And I'm, I'm giving, giving you a little nugget here for anyone who's paying attention. What's the purpose? Well, kingdom expansion. These are more people's lives who I get to bless. These are more people's lives who I get to pour into, who I get to invest in. How much can I pay these people? Not how little. Yeah. Especially when I've brought them in from the church. These are other members of my church. How much can I pay them? How much can we transform their household and their future instead of paying them the minimums to pay them the maximums? so that everybody can thrive, so that this business can thrive. Why? What's the purpose? Money? Well, no, for the purpose of money, which is to build that thing, whether it's that hospital or that church or that school or it's that home, whatever it may be. These are the purposes of God. He doesn't just see it the way we see it. Oh, you know, what if, what if Dave said when he built a house, oh, I'm just... I just build a house. You know, that's, that's, that's not a big deal. No, there's more to it than just building the house. What is that house accomplishing? 
Just like that peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's a mother nurturing her children. Dave's not just building. It's not, it's, it's not just wood. This wall wasn't just stones. There's more happening here. There's security. There's blessing. This is where household, this is where families thrive. Maximum in the fellowship with God. When I got saved, I knew I was secure. But that's not the end. That's the beginning. I want to know the Lord. One thing I ask and I would seek that I would be able to dwell in the presence of the Lord, that I would be able to stay in his temple, that I would be able to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. This is the desire of a heart after God. But again, Nehemiah, he didn't just say, when I had done this, I was done. No, a maximum perspective when it comes to my church. When I started attending regularly, I had arrived as a Christian. That's not the end. That's the beginning. That's the beginning. It's a good and important beginning. Beginnings are beautiful, but they're not the end. Our wedding was beautiful, wasn't it? But has our marriage improved since our wedding day? Oh, yes. have, have things become better and different? And yes. <laughs> so that's God's ideal. The maximum in the kingdom. When I started inviting people into my home, my kingdom efforts were completed. That's not the end. That's the beginning. And we will always find that. The Lord will say, we may think the scale goes one to ten. And we say, oh, I'm getting close to a nine. I'm getting close to a ten. And then the Lord says, hey, the scale goes to a hundred. You're like, oh, okay. And then we can start growing again. We get up to 95, 96. And the Lord goes, the scale, it goes to a thousand. We go, okay. Glory to glory to glory to glory. This is how he grows us. This is how he builds us. This is how he leads us. Faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness. The Lord calls his people to a magnificent fellowship with him where we will rule the world with him and we will judge the angels. That's more significant, right? Than I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. It's just the, it's almost an issue of geography for some people in their, in their extra, in baby stage. Total immaturity is just hell sounds bad. Heaven sounds more pleasant. And of course, Ideally, when the gospel is presented with clarity, you understand that heaven is not the reward. God himself is the reward. He is the reward. If there was a heaven with no God in it, count me out. Just put, knock me out, put me to sleep. Like I'll, I'd rather go in an eternal coma because there is no such thing. There can be no such thing. There can be no pleasure, no goodness, no perfection, no bliss without God himself. He is the source of all these things that he's created. Heaven being one of those things that he's created. The beginning was beautiful, but it only gets more glorious. So the Lord didn't send Nehemiah to just, just build a wall. He sent him to bring revival. And what on the surface looks like only a construction project, only a construction project, it goes much deeper. And this is always true of what God calls you to do. It will always be true. We may not always see it, but this is why we should pray for this. Lord, open my eyes to see my work today. Maybe you're feeling bogged down. Who's ever worked in a cubicle? Anybody worked in a cubicle? I found a cubicle to be quite the soul-sucking environment. I found it to be unpleasant. Can y'all see him in a cubicle? I mean, seriously. Making phone calls, cold calls. Ugh. It was not... It, it was not... It was not soul-filling work. Well, we can put it that way. But one thing I began to do is I, I would remind myself of what mattered. And I didn't do this perfectly, but I'm giving you a picture of what we could do. No matter what our job is, no matter what our vocation is, it has purpose. No matter how our time is spent, it has purpose. So cleaning your bedroom 
becomes more than just picking up stuff or making the bed. Everything becomes significant because I'm bringing order to chaos and behaving like the Lord. I'm subduing the earth. I'm subduing and and taking dominion over what he's provided and what, what, what he's given me. Oh, that's a neat way of looking at it. It's actually not a neat way of looking at it. It's the way that it is. We're made in the image and likeness of God. So these are not clever tricks and a little tip to give you some pep in your step next time. You got some hard work to do. This is the reality of what's taking place. We've got to renew our minds to the truth to see that the Lord is doing things at every level. Well, that's just physical. It's not spiritual. No, it's physical and it's spiritual and both are good. Both are holy. Both are good and both are holy. The Lord told, told Moses, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. Ground can be holy. Everything you do can be holy. The kitchen sink becomes holy when it's done to the Lord. The cubicle becomes holy whenever I'm walking out a season in faithfulness. And the Lord is teaching things and putting things into Jamichael that Jamichael does not realize that day that he was being taught. But time goes by. And now with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, you can look back and go, I see. I knew what you were doing. Now I can see it. But now, how am I doing with the current season? Lord, I just want to, I just, we, we just need to, and the Lord's going, remember, I'm, I'm God, you're, you're not God. I'm like, oh, right, right, right. Thanks for the reminder. So the Lord hasn't sent you to do the thing that the world will think it's just this or just that. His purpose is always more and deeper. It's bigger than you think. It's deeper than you think. When the Lord gives you something, he expects you to multiply it. He has given you a sword. But that sword isn't perfectly sharp. It's not a razor's edge. It can't slice and, and cut paper. It can't, shave, it can't shave hair. But he expects you to sharpen this sword, and he expects you to use this sword. It's never just cleaning your room. It's never just caring for your family members. It's never just serving your husband. It's never just loving your wife. It's never just running your home. It's never just building your business. And business people in particular in the church can feel like, oh, this is kind of like dirty work. I got to go make money and like charge prices. And uh, it, there, there's almost something about it that feels not good. No, 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 no. All these things are redeemed in the kingdom. All these things are brought in to see this is good. This is true. This is beautiful. And there's purpose behind all of it. So I'm happy to do this work and I'm happy to receive income from it. And I'm happy to provide an excellent service and product to customers. Or to my boss, an excellent service to my boss, because nothing is meaningless. Everything means something. The physical world around you. What physical things in your life can you think of that feel pointless, that feel meaningless, that feel irrelevant? Where can you, how can you look at that with the eyes of faith, truly, not the eyes of make-believe and, and creative imagination, but the eyes of faith to see What is this? What is this actually doing? Well, that's just this. Well, what is the deeper purpose behind that? Not the cynical approach that says it's only, it's only, it's only, but the romantic approach that says this is bigger. There's something more going on here because in the word of God, we always see that that's what the Lord is doing. Mm -hmm. There is more work to be done. I built the wall and the wall represented something. The wall meant something and that wasn't the end. It goes farther than this. In verse 2, Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 2, I'll start back in verse 1. Now, when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors, he did more. 
and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites had been appointed. I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. So Hananiah, look back at chapter 1. You're going to recognize this name. Chapter 1, verse 2. Who is it? Can you take a guess? It's Hanani, the same brother. This is the same brother who came to Nehemiah when he was in the citadel, when he was in the castle, in the foreign land. Hanani is the one who came with other men from Judah, and he's the one who brought the report. So this is that same brother, and now this same man, he is being appointed into the, to a position where he has half of the responsibility of Jerusalem now. So Nehemiah is spreading out the leadership, and Nehemiah says about him, he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. We see Nehemiah continuing to spread the responsibility among trusted men. Building up and raising up other people is the work of a leader that never ends. And Nehemiah is multiplying himself in the same way that you and I are called to. How are you called to multiply people? Make disciples. disciples. Every single person. I don't have a business. I don't have this. I don't have that. Well, those would be tools. Those would be opportunities, no doubt. But in particular, we're talking about making disciples. This is the work of every Christian. Well, I'm not a pastor. Okay, but if you're a Christ follower, you've been given the command to make disciples of all nations. So this is the multiplication that takes place. Nehemiah is taking what the Lord has given him and he's making it better. He's making it bigger. He's making it more useful. He took his brothers and he showed them what leadership looks like. They had been dwelling in Jerusalem and they hadn't dealt with the issues that Nehemiah dealt with. They hadn't cleaned up. Nehemiah, remember, he called the rich nobles. He called the officials. And he humiliated them in front of everybody. He forced them to repent and shamed them with love. Why was it with love? Well, because their souls would be saved because they could repent of their sin. That's why it was with love. And he's actually pointing out and calling out sin. So Nehemiah calls them out rebukes them. His brothers have seen this. They're learning, man, Nehemiah, he's got a zeal. He's got a heart for the Lord. He's got a clarity. How can we love? How can we lead like that? Nehemiah sees the love of God in them. He sees that they have the fear of the Lord, and now he's appointing them. This is what we're looking for when we're talking about persons of peace, people who are not, maybe not yet in the kingdom of God, but they're close. They're hungry. They're thirsty. You sense that the Holy Spirit is drawing them. This isn't the person who wants to fight you tooth and nail on every single thing. Yeah. This is the person who's saying, I'm listening. Yeah. This is the person who's saying, I'm interested. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to have that conversation. I, yeah, I've got some questions. It's that cousin who's saying, tell me more, person of peace. This is that opportunity to say, this is someone that Kayla needs to take responsible for, take responsibility for, and she sees that and recognizes that. Let me shepherd my cousin. Let me love her. Let me guide her. I can't force anyone to do anything, but let me make sure that I am making disciples of the nations of Texas, which they consider themselves their nation, right? So, so close enough. So whether it's someone far away or whether it's someone near, this work of multiplication is real. Who, who are you multiplying right now? Who do you have in your heart? Who do you have in your mind that you're saying, I'm, I'm pouring into them, I'm shepherding, I'm blessing, I'm caring for should always be caring for the brothers and sisters in the body. Always, always, always. Default, automatic. You're my keeper and I'm yours. Yes. That's always the case. But also outside of the house. Now, who else 
can I shepherd and care for so they can come into the kingdom, so they can know the king, so they can recognize his goodness, so they can experience his transformational power, freedom from sin, the joy of righteousness, the freedom, the utter relief of living a holy life by the grace of God. Nehemiah identifies these two men, and Hananiah in particular. Nehemiah is multiplying himself like we should always see a person multiplying themselves. Wherever there's only one Christian in an environment, it should not stay that way for long. There's no believers here. There's no believers here. <laughs> what an opportunity. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming here. Why? Because Jesus said a little bit of yeast is all it takes to make the whole lump of dough. Right? I don't know a lot about that, but I have seen Natalie with the little yeast packets in the kitchen. They're like tiny. And then the little stuff in the packet is super tiny. It's like sand. So I don't know what it is or how it works. Alive. It's alive, so they say. <laughs> and, and she puts a little bit of that in. And then when we were in West Virginia during Rona, she got into like, she just became Little Miss House on the Prairie, uh, making bread all the time. But, but it, the, they would swell, right? They would rise. And that's what Jesus is teaching. A little bit causes the whole thing. And this is what he's talking about, the kingdom of God. A little bit, and now things continue to spread. Or he, uh, the other example he uses, the mustard seed. It's the smallest seed, he said, in the garden. But it grows into a tree that becomes huge. And then the birds of the air can come and rest and make their nest. And you can get shade. This is the perspective of the Christian. This is the perspective of the Christian in their own life. This is a perspective of the body of Christ. This is a perspective of a Christian business owner. Why would my business build? Well, because how big can that shade get? How much of the blessing of the Lord can we extend Mm -hmm. and expand Mm -hmm. to how many and to how far? Nehemiah is taking this perspective for a whole city. Verses three and four. Back in chapter 7 here. Verses 3 and 4 in chapter 7. So, and I said to them, so he's giving specific instructions now, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt. So the temple's been rebuilt, praise God. We started with the heart of things. Now we've got the walls of the city rebuilt. Praise God. And now households have to still be rebuilt. Homes still need to be rebuilt. But we still are dealing with issues of security here. So what's happening? What's, what's really going on in the context of these, these verses? Nehemiah is setting a higher standard for the city of Jerusalem than what other cities had. It was typical for other cities to open their gates at sunrise. Nehemiah said, don't open our gates And he's telling his two brothers who he puts over, you're in charge of this half, you're in charge of this half. Don't open our gates until the sun is hot. What's he mean by that? Until the city is alive, until everybody is awake, until things are moving, acting, and happening. Why? He's just being wise. He doesn't want a surprise attack. He doesn't want the city to be ambushed in the morning. He doesn't want, you know, the activity happening outside. And this becomes problematic later. We're going to see people who are used to the city being wide open. You can come through the broken breaches in the gate. Uh, in the wall or the gates that don't even exist. But what we have happen is actually the merchants get upset. They start to break these laws later. And Nehemiah realizes this is a risk. But what's really happening here is Jerusalem is being set apart as a separate city, which was always God's intention. 
That was always God's plan. This is another show of God's holiness. What's God's is different and it is set apart for his work. What does that mean for us? Well, his church, he says, is a city on a hill. And we too have, are to have a completely different operating system. The church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be different. It's supposed to look different. It is a shame and it is an indictment against the body of Christ that a lot of times people can look at Christians and look at worldly folks and go, yeah, same, same life, except on Sunday morning they have to get up early. Right. We get to sleep in. Now, obviously, that's far from the biblical narrative. That's far from what the scripture teaches. And it's far from what most people experience in their life, or for what faithful Christians experience in their lives. But it is a common perspective. What does this mean for us? Well, it means that we want God's best. Again, remember, not the minimums, but the maximums. And of course, we do. Jesus raises the standard in every way. People thought, though, the Old Testament was harsh. People have this ignorant understanding. They think the Old Testament had all these laws for the Jews, but Jesus came and did away with all of that. Well, he actually raised the standard. That was what made things so intimidating and so difficult. He said, you've heard it said, and then, he's, and then he would proceed to raise the standard. You've heard it said this, and they're like, yeah, that's pretty tough. And he's like, well, I say this. Well, he said, you've heard it said you shouldn't commit adultery. And they're like, that's right. We're not supposed to. We're not going to. It's not allowed. He said, I say, if you even look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery. And they went, oh, wow, that's different. That is more challenging. Why? He's after their hearts. This is where it starts. Not just did I control the outward, but the the outward flowed from the inward. That's where it started, which is why Jesus is better. Jesus is the greater Nehemiah. Nehemiah, he's setting up defensive measures. Jesus, he puts us on offense. We have a new and a better covenant. We're not on defense. We're not holding it back. The world, the sin. Jesus says, no, no, no. We don't have to fortify ourselves. He says, it's actually the gates of hell that are going to try and keep us out. We're barging in. We're breaking in. With what? With light, with help, with hope where we see somebody beat down, where we see somebody discouraged, where we see somebody who does not yet know King Jesus, who has not yet bowed the knee, who has not yet confessed that Jesus is their Lord, that he's their master in particular, not just, yeah, I know he's king. I think the Bible's true, but he's their Lord. That's where we get to break in with the love of God, with the goodness of God and see people be blessed, see people be thrived. Jesus is the greater Nehemiah. All throughout scripture, whoever you see, they were real people. And at the same time, Jesus is the greater. The Bible talks about this in the form of Adam in the garden. The Bible calls Jesus the second Adam. So the first Adam fails us at a tree. The second Adam goes and dies on the tree. One Adam plunges, the first Adam plunges us into sin. The second Adam gets us all out of it. The first Adam is guilty. The second Adam is perfectly innocent. The the Nehemiah comes, he fulfills the will of God. It's good, it's true, it's beautiful, it's right, but it was still a defensive measure. Jesus comes and says, charge. He is leading from the front. He fills his people with the Holy Spirit and with power. So Jesus doesn't tell us to get behind locked gates. He fills us with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and he leads the charge at the gates of the enemy. This is good news. This, this transforms the way that we can live in our daily lives. This transforms the way that we can see the way things are actually happening. And we can recognize that we can and should go on offense. 
Offense, offense, offense. That's our posture. Foot on the gas. Foot on the gas. I don't want to set the cruise control. I want more, more, more. And this is what the Lord has. He wants to take over the world with his kingdom. Jesus is already king. There is not one square inch anywhere in all creation in the whole universe that Jesus does not look at and say, mine. It belongs to him. Every government, every ruler, if they are not in operation, in obedience to the word of God, they are in disobedience to the very one who gives them their authority. This is the same thing for every husband. This is the same thing for every pastor. Those three spheres of rulership, the civil government, the household, and the church. All of these are under the sphere of the actual king. So with that joy, with that understanding, we move forward with excitement, making sure that his kingship is enjoyed and understood and expanded everywhere. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I'm going to transition here for our, our next few minutes. We're going to make some references to the verses that we've looked at here in Nehemiah. But I'm going to have you turn to the book of Acts, chapter 6, as we prepare to install Adam, our brother, as a deacon here in the church. Acts chapter 6, verses 1, I'll read to you uh, verses 1 through 7. So, Jesus died, Jesus was raised from the dead, he hung out with the apostles, with the disciples for 40 days before ascending into heaven, they watched him go, he stood on the mountain, he said, I will return, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit, so 10 days after that, he sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, fills the people with power, with the gifts of the Spirit. The church is growing. The church is expanding. But the church has started to run into some struggle. The church has run into some very practical problems that they've started to feel, some very practical pressures that they started to feel. Not unlike Nehemiah. Not unlike, hey, the walls need help. The gates need help. Chapter 6, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint <clears throat> by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So all Christians here, but different people groups of Christians. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we give up the preaching, the word of God to serve tables. So the apostles, the leaders in the church, the pastors, they're saying... It's not right for us to neglect the preaching of the word and, and prayer. This is our priority. This is our calling. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Taman, and Pomenaeus, and Nicolaus, the proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So we see challenge happening, but we see the church solving it. We see the Lord bringing other, raising men up for these particular roles, for these important things. Men full of the Spirit, men full of wisdom. 
This is our understanding. This is my understanding of the New Testament office of the deacon. So the New Testament offices, we know the elders are the ones who are preaching and teaching the word of God. That's their primary responsibility and prayer. And then the deacons we see come in. Deacons have lots of opportunities and lots of responsibilities. But the thing Adam and I have studied together and we agree on is that the deacons are the assistant to the elders. So whenever you're thinking about what's a deacon supposed to do? Well, they deke, of course. Duh. Elders, <laughs> elders, el, deacons, deke. Like, ushers, ush. Ushers, ush. Like, I don't know. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. But what is the, what's that function going to look like? In general, <clears throat> you can understand in the future, and as our church grows and as it builds, as there's going to come, there will be other elders, not just me in the future. There will be other deacons, not just Adam. But what are the elders? The elders' primary focus is the preaching and teaching in the Word of God and prayer. And the primary function of the deacons is the assistant to the elders. So let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at the high standards for deacons. The standards for deacons are almost identical to the standards for elders, which are very high, thankfully and rightfully so. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to go in verse 8. We'll go through 13. <clears throat> so he'd given qualifications for overseers or elders or bishops, depending on what your translation says, but pastors, another phrase that we most commonly use. Uh, verse 8, qualifications for deacons. So what are the qualifications for Adam in this moment? And this is what I've read to you before, and this is why I said Adam is, is in this period of inspection, this period of where I wanted the church to weigh and judge and come to me if they saw or knew of anything that would disqualify Adam from this office. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Every time I read that, I'm blessed as I think about Adam Amen. because I see absolute qualification all the way through. And as I've been praying about it and, and looking forward to this moment in this day, I sense the goodness of God on his life and on Angelina's life because you see she's mentioned here as well. Does Adam have an influence over his wife? Of course, and that's why that's listed for deacons. That's why for you know, elders, they have to have their own children in subjection. So these things matter, but we see also the qualifications in you, Angelina. We see the goodness, we see the godliness, we see the beauty, we see the femininity, yes. you holding up the standards of God and his word. So we honor you as well as we honor Adam today. But what I want to do now is I want to bring Adam up. And you can just stand beside me, Adam, as you face the congregation. And as the pastor here, I'm telling you with confidence, just like Hannah and I, I can say, just like 
Just like Nehemiah said about Hananiah, I can say of Adam, Adam is a faithful and God-fearing man. He has been tested and he has been proven as faithful. I've known Adam for years. So it's not only this short period of window where I just said, hey, if you see him beat up an old lady in the street, please tell me. (laughs) But it's been for a long time where I've seen and known Adam and walked with him. I've seen his faith. I've seen his love for the God. I can say like Stephen, Adam is full of faith and the Holy Spirit. I can say like those early deacons as well, Adam is full of wisdom. I've seen that in him. It's my honor to call him a brother. So again, as a deacon, Adam is going to be responsible for the practical management of many things. But God's purpose, as always, as we learned and talked about, God's purpose always extends much deeper than, oh, I'm just this. Oh, I'm just that. Well, Adam's handling this practical thing. Adam's handling that practical thing. Adam's making sure of this. Adam's making sure of that. Adam will have responsibility for those things, but Adam will not be the one executing all of those things. Guess who's going to be the, the likely ones executing a lot of these things a lot of the times? Everybody raise your hand, please. So Adam is, Adam is often going to come to you and say, hey, here's what we need to do. Here's something I'd like to talk with you about. Here's something I want to, because Adam also has to oversee. Adam has to oversee as we grow, as, as he levels up. His primary responsibility as our numbers grow as well is going to be multiplying and building into people. So he and I will be doing that together. Like Nehemiah and like all of us, the Lord isn't calling Adam to just handle some things on the surface. He is appointing Adam to continue to build his church. So with that said, I ask you, Salt Church, does anyone have any objection to Adam being appointed to this office? And then I'll further ask, if this pleases the assembly, let the church say, Amen. 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 Praise God. So... You have the confidence of the church behind you. You have my confidence. I know you have the Lord's pleasure. And again, in obedience to the scriptures, I'm going to lay hands on Adam. If you would stand to your feet and extend your hands in support of him. This is an office that has responsibility. And with responsibility, it's always right and biblical for authority to come with it as well. It's a cruel joke to give a man responsibility and no authority to actually execute on it. No authority to actually do anything. So Adam, from this moment forward, will have authority in the body. Well, that makes us scared, right? That, that word authority can be a little intimidating. Fair enough. Which is why we define authority here as it is the power to do what's best. Yeah. So authority means power. There's no way around that. and There's nothing wrong with that. But Adam will have the power to do what's best. Adam, Adam will be moving in the direction that is given to him by the elders, or in this case, still just me. <laughs> and at the same time, Adam, I will tell you, stands on all three legs of leadership. It's not just responsibility. It's not just authority. Those are two legs, but there's a third leg, which is compassion. Adam loves you. Adam loves this church. Yes. Adam's faithful here. So Adam is not going to come to you and say, hey, I need you to change my tires and, uh, and, and pick up my dry cleaning or anything like that. No, in fact, in fact I'm going to have Adam doing all that stuff for me. That's, all that, that's what's going to happen because he's the assistant to the elder, right? No, our purpose, our heart, our desire is to build up the church of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're excited about doing as a church that's multiplying, as a church that's growing, as a church that's planting churches. It's my, it's my joy and my pleasure. So extend your hands to our brother right now. Heavenly Father, I lay my hands on him in obedience to your word, and I appoint him to this New Testament office of deacon. God, we thank you for this moment, as it's been a joy and a pleasure to teach him and to preach him the word of God, to enjoy him for years, to build fellowship, to build friendship, to build relationship. I say that he is a man full of the Holy Spirit. 
full of wisdom and full of power, full of love for God and for his people. God, I see the spirit of excellence that you've placed upon him. I see the desire that he has for your kingdom and for your purposes. I ask that you would continue to bless him. I ask that you would continue to bless Angelina, that they would experience your goodness, your truth, and your beauty in their lives all the days of their lives. And that you would help him in this new moment, that you would put a new anointing on him, that you would strengthen him and continue to set him apart for your work. The gifts that you've given him, pour on even more, helping him to sharpen, helping him to multiply, helping him to experience the good pleasure and the good reward and the confidence, the confidence and the pleasure that comes from serving in this office. Lord, as his mastery grows, as his understanding grows, as his leadership ability grows, make me a good elder to him. Build our brotherhood, build the strength between us so that we would see together the needs of your church, that we would bless your people. And now, Adam, let's face the church together and you can raise your hand towards the church and say, it's to you, Salt Church. Say this, Adam. It's, it's to, to you, Salt Church. That I love. That I love. That I commit. That I commit. That I love. That I love. To lead. To lead. I will do that. I will do that. By serving you. By serving you. I will do that. I will do that. By organizing. By organizing. I will do that. I will do that. By praying. By praying. I will do that. I will do that. By directing. By directing. I do this in the fear of God. I do this in the fear of God. The love of God. The love of God. And the love I have for you. And the love I have for you. Church, if you receive that, say amen. 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 God bless you, brother. Love you.